Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Are you unable to pay for medical care? Do you need health insurance? The Corner Health Center is the place for you. The Corner offers judgment-free, high-quality health care exclusively to all who are aged 12 to 25. They provide health care regardless of insurance status or ability to pay and will assist you in obtaining health insurance. Services include, but are not limited to, physicals, vaccinations, mental health programs and counseling, sexual health and contraceptive services, OBGYN, diet and nutritional support, and LGBTQ hormone therapy. The Corner is here for you. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 734-484-3600 or visit cornerhealth.org. The sun's shining, birds are singing, and all feels right in the world. Until the season changes and suddenly everything seems darker, less lively, and you lose your motivation to get out of bed. If you struggle with depression, you're not alone. In fact, one in five people experience some form of depression, and no matter the time of year, it may affect your behavioral or physical ability to live a happy life. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we understand what you're going through, and we're here to help. Our vision is to build a mentally healthy nation for all, because we want you to live your best life and be your best you all year round. We work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental wellness. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. El sol brilla, las aves cantan y todo se siente bien en el mundo. Hasta que cambia la estación y de pronto pierde su motivación para salir de la cama. De hecho, una de cinco personas experimenta algún tipo de depresión sin importar la época del año. En la fundación de la Asociación Americana de Psiquiatría, nuestro objetivo es construir una nación mentalmente saludable para todos. Porque usted quiere vivir su mejor vida y ser la mejor versión de usted. Para más información, visite lasaludmental.org. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to be introducing a special edition of Living Writers this December Wednesday. Today's special edition is the season five launch of the podcast Michigan Voices from Writing Digital 200 Art of Podcasting a class I teach here at the University of Michigan. 
the students this semester put together Michigan Voices Season 5 Art and Resistance. If you like this sampler collage, you can also check out Michigan Voices Season 5 on Spotify. You'll also find there previous seasons of Michigan Voices you can take a listen to, voices and perspectives from Michigan students from 2020 until now. Today, you'll hear the trailer first by lead producer Thomas Welsh, theme composed by Chris Federley, narration by Sari Rosenberg. Then, you'll hear short samples of episodes 1 through 16. In between these glimpses into the episodes, you'll hear a clip of season 5 theme composed by Chris Federley and also the sound of a can of spray paint to symbolize the season's theme of art and resistance. So you have a sense of the arc of the episode. Here are the titles. Stage Stories of Resistance. Off the Books. Voices of Truth. Israel and Palestine from the past to now. Couture with a Cause. Shopping Sustainably. From Mixtape to Playlist, The Evolution of Music Listening. Dear Diary. Faster Horses, Michigan Gone Wild. Izzy Berman, Sketches of Resistance. The Taylor Tapes, Swift and Sexism. Warped, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Addiction. Sustainable Steps, The Michigan Marching Band. Combative Comedy, Taking on the Student Loan Crisis. Wonderlust by J&E. And finally, The Art of Being. So now, without further ado, hope you enjoy Michigan Voices Season 5. Michigan Voices, Season 5. The following 13 episodes explore the theme of art and resistance everywhere from here in Ann Arbor to across the globe. Resistance is found in all aspects of daily life, with no form too small. Together we compose one collaborative voice to address the impact of art and resistance at the University of Michigan and beyond. Art is deeply intertwined with roots of resistance and comes in so many mediums, from music to books to writing to comedy. Here is how some of our Michigan voices have interpreted our own forms of art and resistance. Episodes include topics on Off the Books Combative Comedy The Art of Being Sketches of Resistance Couture with a Cause Stage Stories Theater as Resistance And that was a sneak peek into Season 5 of Michigan Voices. We hope you are able to resonate with our stories and find your own manners of resistance in your lives moving forward. Signing off.
places everyone, top of act one. Make sure you have everything you need. We are starting in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the first episode of Michigan Voices season five. My name is Thomas Welch and I am in the School of Music, Theater and Dance here at Michigan and I am so excited to be kicking off this new season with my episode entitled Stage Stories. In today's episode, I wanted to take a trip down memory lane and reflect on my own artistic journey within theater and how it helped me grow into the person I am today as an undergraduate. Have you ever considered that one indispensable element you couldn't envision your life without? In my case, it was the stage. From the moment I took my first steps, the performer within me was alive. I recall a vivid childhood memory at the Children's Museum, encountering a pair of tap shoes and dazzling costume pieces like a sparkly jacket. And without hesitation, I kicked off my shoes and dashed towards the wooden floor, eager to showcase my new moves. I may not have been extraordinary, but the sheer joy I felt was undeniable. From then on, I knew I wanted to be on the stage forever. For me, the stage felt like an escape, an escape from my conflicts both inner and outer. I felt like I was playing this character at all times, a confident, risk taker, and overall the best version of myself. This was really one of the only spaces where I felt comfortable because in other spaces, I was quite the opposite. like the what's one artistic memory you have essay on the artistic profile the notorious artistic uh, profile yes <laughs> and i um i wrote about walking onto the stage and like i was carrying a big ass boom box on my arm which is not even period but it was high school theater <laughs> i walked on stage and i sat down in the little desk chair before the like little detention scene and i was looking down because i was so afraid to look up and see the audience and then the lights came up and I went into character and I looked out for the first time and I saw over 600 people and I was like, damn, this is fun. And then I was dancing and I was singing and I was acting and they were laughing and smiling and I was just like, this is something I love. That first experience is like no other because it's just, it's such a feeling of like, oh, what, what, is, what is this feeling? This is amazing. It's so joyous. Um, I think I really connected with like the sharing side of it. Like, I just, I love to feel a connection with the audience and everybody on stage. And for me, theater kind of was like a moment of like to get away from life because I was just going through a lot of different situations. Um, and I had just moved to a new school. Mind you, I was also doing the transition from fifth to sixth grade. Um, um, <laughs> so it was just like a lot of, you know, new yeah. things coming my way. Mm -hmm. And I had always done choir, like I did choir inside elementary school, like the version of choir that you could do after school. Um, and I did church choir growing up. And I similarly was like, I don't know about this musical theater thing. Um, but my mom was like, no, you're going to do it. You have to. Like, I'm not letting you not do it. Just go try something new, experience something and get away from like all the mess you got going on. 
So I did, I had no business doing this, and neither did my school, but we did Aladdin Jr. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> um, Sorry. Um, yeah. Um, Who are you? Um, guard. I was a guard. Ensemble. <laughs> Sultan Understudy. Guard. <laughs> um, no, I had, I had so much fun, and it was the first time I had, like, really felt a part of a group of people where, like, we were wildly different and came from so many different places. Um, but we all found something to connect in and to, like, really bond over the work, you know? It was really beautiful and just lights up. Boom. So much fun. Welcome to Off the Books, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of banned books, exploring the stories, controversies, and significance behind these forbidden narratives. I'm your host, McKenna Buck, and today we're delving into Margaret Atwood's powerful dystopian novel, The Handmaid's Tale. Welcome to Michigan Voices. Episode 3. I'm Sari. And I'm Abdullah. And today we are going to be talking about a very important topic that is impacting our life today, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Although this topic is very complex, we're going to approach this conversation from a place of empathy and understanding, and we will talk about history and our personal opinions and thoughts. Children were found butchered on a Hi, Abdullah. How are you? Hey, Siri. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm pretty tired. I actually just came from Pretzel Bell, the restaurant downtown. I was filming an NBC segment with some other uh, Michigan students about the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. So I'm feeling really ready to talk today. That's <laughs> that's amazing because actually that's what we're talking about like today. I think before we start, we should do something that we do in our social work class that we have together, which is going over the community agreements of a forward space. So some people may know what a brave space is where you're feeling comfortable to say whatever. 
But the forward space takes that a step forward, sorry for uh, for that pun, and says that this space is not just um, a space where you're comfortable, but a learning space and a space that might actually be hard at times that dialogue and debate happen. So um, let's go back and forth reading those community agreements and talk about them. Yes. So the first one is intent versus impact, which is you can intentionally say something by the person it might impact the person in a different way and that's what intent versus impact is so the second one that i think is going to be really important today is exploring multiple perspectives of a topic obviously we're exploring i would say two main perspectives but knowing that there's more other perspectives out there and that all these perspectives are um, equally valid and important to talk about the third one is five seconds first so tend to give five seconds after someone shares something to validate them. Uh, the fourth one is your emotions are valid. This is clearly a very personal issue for both of us and something that we might get upset over. And I think acknowledging when we feel upset or scared or saddened by something is going to be really important and say, you know, like I'm bringing certain things into this conversation. Fifth one is recognize what you carry into the space with you. So just know what you're bringing in the table and talk about it. Yeah, I'd say uh, maybe you're catching me at a more flexible point because of my <laughs> prior conversation today. Um, all right. So six is confidentiality. We are obviously making this podcast for the University of Michigan population. So we know that it's going to be shared. But I think between the two of us and listeners as well, just being careful that maybe if we're speaking about specific students' stories on campus, we're changing their names and other personal details. Seven is do not make assumptions. I feel like that one's pretty obvious. So, you know, don't, don't assume just because I'm a, a Jewish looking girl that I'm pro-Israel. Um, all right. So number eight is only speak to your own identities and experiences. So I think for us, we should really be using I statements or people like me who dot, dot, dot and things like that. And number nine is it is okay to be forward. You can... Always be forward, not in a mean way, but you can always be forward about what you want to say. Yeah, and I feel like especially because we're very friendly, it's going to be okay that I could say like, oh, that really hurt me. Or what do you mean by that? I agree. Um, also practice forgiveness. I think through the scope of this podcast, there might be points that are, feel more tense than others and making sure that we kind of like keep those emotions central to that part of the podcast and then forgive them and move on. For 11 is share space, which is make sure that you giving the other person space to talk and not talking over them and stuff like that. And then the 12th one is practice active listening. Um, as Abdullah mentioned before, this is really a podcast about education, learning, awareness. So not just listening to each other or for you, our listeners, listening to debate, but listening to learn. This is a Michigan Voices production. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 4, Couture with a Cause, the podcast that digs deep into the threads of the fashion industry, exploring how Americans express their resistance through their fashion choices. 
I'm your host, Ella Russell, and in today's episode, Shopping Sustainably, we will investigate how the resistance against unsustainable practices in the fashion industry has led to the rise of ethical fashion choices. In a world of social media, fashion trends are changing faster than ever. Keeping up with the current trends often leads to unsustainable practices by both the industry and the consumer. However, there's a growing movement of individuals reshaping the narrative. Today, we're unraveling the threads of sustainability and ethical fashion. We'll learn how fast fashion rose to fame, take a look into the current issues regarding sustainability and fashion, and hear from Michigan undergrad Bella Pignatello, who practices nearly 95% ethical consumerism. Around 30 years ago, the fashion industry began its transformation, and not necessarily for the better. Shopping for clothes used to be tamed. Consumers would make purchases when their clothes started to wear or became outgrown. They would buy an occasional new piece here and there and purchase gifts. Now, shopping has turned into a source of entertainment and a hobby for many. This shift can be dedicated to cheap prices, a widened selection of goods, the convenience of online shopping, and the influence of social media rapidly turning over fashion trends. But where do these cheap prices come from, and what's wrong with keeping up with the trends? Well, unfortunately, the low prices and high quantities recently making their appearance in the fashion market are too good to be true. These perks are a result of fast fashion. Good on you, the world's leading source for fashion brand sustainability rankings, defines fast fashion as cheap, trendy clothing that samples ideas from the catwalk or celebrity culture and turns them into garments at breakneck speed to meet consumer demand. Brands such as H&M and Zara are leading examples of fast fashion. These brands imitate current luxury trends by reproducing them quickly and selling them at affordable prices, allowing consumers from many price ranges to shop on-trend garments at their desire. But it is important to understand the toxic system of overproduction and overconsumption that surrounds fast fashion. In terms of the industry, in order to deliver fashion in such a rapid manner, these companies use cheap, toxic dyes that pollute clean water, can be carcinogenic, cause skin and eye irritation with contact, and can even cause potentially larger health effects. The cheap fabrics such as polyester and conventional cotton are derived from fossil fuels and require large quantities of water and pesticides. In terms of the consumer, high consumption rates induce high disposal rates. Fast fashion encourages throwaway culture, as Good On You calls it. To stay on top of trends, we get rid of garments that no longer have value to us. Throwing away clothes leads to issues involving overcrowded landfills, land clearing, and poor soil quality. While this episode's main focus is on the environmental aspects of fast fashion, there are other harms including the exploitation of workers and the harming of animals. I highly recommend watching the documentary, The True Cost. It zooms in on the sad reality about the clothes we wear, the people who make them, and the impact that the industry is having on our world. Welcome. 
How do you listen to music? When do you listen to music? Do you listen to albums? Playlists? How do you organize the music? By artist? By genre? In this episode, I want to dive into these questions and find out all there is to know about the art of listening. More specifically, I want to see how listening has changed over the years. I want to begin with the physical ways through which we listen and then move into content, what exactly we listen to and how that's developed. Later, I'll talk to some people about their listening habits to see firsthand how different or similar things are now compared to in the past. I want to offer two forms of listening and then see if we can find a pattern with who falls into which category. The first is what I believe is the traditional method, which I will call deep dive listening. People who listen to a smaller array of artists but go deep into their work. They know the albums, most of their discographies, and overall listen to a smaller variety of artists very in-depth. The second is what I believe to be the most popular now, which is the wide or surface method. These people listen to tons of different artists and genres and explore a wider range of music than the deep divers. These listeners, though, probably don't know every single song from a lot of their favorite artists or couldn't list the deep cuts from their first album. They do, however, have many artists they enjoy listening to. Obviously, there is probably overlap between these two categories of listeners, and they probably exist on a spectrum of wide to deep listening. This framework, though, allows for us to categorize listeners. Now, I want to find out more about listening habits of people around me and see what I can learn. How often do you listen to music and kind of where do you find yourself listening to music? Okay, so I would say, I mean, pretty easy question for me, but I I listen to music every day. Um, I think the most common place I listen to music is sort of on my walks to class or um, to work or when I'm studying. Um, I'd say most of the time I'm in the car driving to class or walking to class or sometimes when I'm doing some work. Um, I listen to music in the shower. I listen to music when I cook. I listen to me like I cook ever. I listen to music when I walk into my kitchen and then walk out. And so I would listen to music, not just in the morning at night on the radio, which I still did, but I would also listen to records when I was doing my homework, when I was, um, you know, getting ready for bed, when I was in bed, um, presumably asleep. Uh, and what I would do at that point is I would put a record on, um, and listen all the way through. Thank you for listening to episode five from Mixtape to Playlist, The Evolution of Music Listening. It was the summer of 2012 and I was 10 years old. My grandmother told me I could pick out one item at the store and she would get it for me as a summer gift. As I strolled the aisles, my eyes gazed upon the oddly shaped sunglasses, bright graphic t-shirts, and huge purses that were larger than my head at the time. I then spotted it, a light pink bound notebook with the gold cursive letters spelling out, hello gorgeous. I wasn't sure what drew me to this notebook but immediately after spotting it, I knew this would be my item. Flash forward almost 10 years later and that notebook still travels with me. Welcome to Dear Diary. 
I'm Taylor, your host. Today, we are doing something that 10-year-old me would never expect or even allow to be done, and that is read my diary out loud. Dear Mom, I know you are reading this, which means that you are doing something that is so mean and rude and just not allowed, aka reading my diary. Please just stop reading it and be a nice mom and just put it back. If I find out that you read this, I will be so mad at you. Do not do it. Close this right now. So, yeah, to put it simply, I think 10-year-old me would freak if she knew I was going to be reading my diary out loud for people to hear. But hopefully she will forgive me. With this year's Michigan Voices theme being art and resistance, I decided to see resistance in a much smaller way than many would define the term. When I first think of the term resistance, I think of protests or large acts defying a social norm. However, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that acts of resistance can be much smaller and can sometimes even go unnoticed. With this, I decided that I would go back and rummage through the old pages of my diary that I have had over the years of my life and recount my small acts of resistance to show that it did and does surround us daily and has been surrounding us since we were young. So join me as I read my younger self's thoughts, emotions, and experiences and discover how in these formative years, I was unwittingly engaged in small acts of resistance. That was your welcome to welcome to Pastor Horses. Wake moment, up, you're for here. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you see this as a place that like transcends like everyday life? Like, do you feel like people I guess I kinda touched about it earlier, like they kind of yeah. just let loose. Oh, for sure. There is not care in the world at, during those four days. Like you are there to have fun and listen to country music and that's about it. Yeah. I feel <laughs> like every year I've been for three years and you just learn more every year. Oh, like yeah. the first year I went I was Yeah lost <laughs> yeah yeah well I'm glad I had you I'm glad you were, I, you were with yeah, me yeah yeah I also remember like I was walking back one night and out of nowhere I hadn't seen you in hours yeah you just come running up behind me Rocky <laughs> tripping over yourself I met somebody <laughs> yeah yep. and then some ran those random people behind us and they started to just yell like she met somebody Rocky can you hear her <laughs> People are just nuts. I yeah, love it. It's just it's just it's whole it's a whole other world and it's just a world that is just dedicated to having fun and letting loose. In the midst of summer days spent out at Michigan International Speedway at Faster Horses, we have all had incredible experiences together. Joining arm in arm to bond over our love of taking a break from our normal lives and escaping to the scene of country music. This festival represents pushing back against the progressiveness of the world in our everyday lives. Just taking a weekend to get a little crazy and enjoy the lifestyle that is represented by country music. Be in the moment. And as we pack up our tents and clear the grounds, we take the memories with us and remember when life gets crazy, we can always turn to the simplicity of a good country song and friends to keep the wild spirit alive for the next year.
Hey everyone, welcome back to Michigan Voices. My name's Irina, your host of today's episode, where I talk to Izzy Browerman, an artist, Michigan alum, and survivor of sexual assault. In the episode, we talked about Izzy's journey as an artist and her current work in court sketching. As a sketch artist, she's worked on the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial of 2022, as well as the sentencing of Danny Masterson, an actor from that 70s show. She's currently the court sketch artist in an ongoing criminal case, the people of New York versus Donald Trump. We also talked about what it was like coming forward against a U of M professor, how being a survivor informs her work, and the value she sees in the art of court sketching. I think that there's a level of responsibility that you take on when you're in a space where people are waiting for your read. The work that I've done in the past has all been very personal and diaristic. And so I haven't had that level of accountability to navigating a scenario that's, you know, not my own. And in my own way, I'm holding court and trying to determine what's right and what's wrong. And that was kind of what happened in the beginning of the depth trial. And I decided partway through that that was an impossible task. And that instead, I was going to just do my thing and let my body react. And like I said before, when your body has been abused, it actually has all of these superpowers um, where it feels things and it's it's oftentimes like smarter than you. And so I trust my body and the space to relay the information um, through gesture and the way I put down my pen and the colors I use. It's it's a half conscious process. You know, I want to make sure that I get the outfits right. There's a level of fashion involved. There's a level of like jovialness especially in this trial where like the judge has this amazing sense of humor and the lawyers on both sides you know they have really interesting language and quips and Donald Trump is a really really interesting subject to draw and I love drawing him those are things that are different than pulling from your imagination and so I think I'm at this point finding my groove and it depends on each trial. There's a different tone to each trial. This is a Michigan Voices production. Welcome to season five, episode 10. So what's been everyone's go-to Taylor Swift song recently? So I recently discovered Babe from the Red album. It's from the vault. It's fantastic. Everybody should give it a listen. I've recently been really enjoying The Last Great American Dynasty. It's a bop. Are you in your folklore era or something along the lines? I am. It's it's fall season mm. and I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> Um, if I had to say right where you left me, Ooh. good one. That was my surprise song at the Eras tour. That so. cuts deep, Sabrina. It wow. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. 
declined to address that. Global superstar Taylor Swift. This is the first time photographers have caught T-Swift on film in six weeks. Grammy's youngest ever winner of album year. Is there bad? Taylor Swift is responsible for maybe it's suspension. Taylor Swift is in hot water again. Taylor Swift is on top of the world, but has she done some sketchy things to get there? Welcome to the Taylor Tapes, Swift and Sexism. We're your hosts, Sabrina Shaw, Meredith Clemens, and Keely Ryan. We're three best friends and roommates who all have a great love for Taylor Swift and her music, and it's something that's really bonded us throughout our years of friendship. Today, we're going to reflect on our experiences as Taylor Swift fans listening to her music and also how she uses her music to combat sexism and misogyny that she has faced throughout her entire career and also how we use her music to inspire us and empower us as women. Yes, I think we all grew up alongside Taylor Swift and at first just thought of her as this big pop star that we just all loved her catchy music and everything like that. But as we've grown alongside her, I think her words really ruminate with us now and kind of just it's very empowering to listen to her and see how she's kind of fought back at all the things that the public and the media has thrown at her just because she's such a successful woman woman in such a high position of power. Content warning. This episode will contain graphic depictions of drug use and addiction. Listener discretion is advised. This is a Michigan Voices production. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 11. Welcome to Warped, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Addiction. I'm your host, Brendan Boyd, an avid Red Hot Chili Peppers fan and senior at the University of Michigan studying communication and media. Red Hot Chili Peppers are a funk, punk, pop rock band out of LA that has been around for 40 years and consisted of 14 different members. The most popular and successful of the Chili Pepper iterations exists today. Lead singer Anthony Kiedis, bassist Michael Balzari, also known as Flea, guitarist John Frusciante, and drummer Chad Smith. The Chili Peppers are a really important band to me. I grew up hearing their music a lot from my older brother Shane, who's a huge fan. He's got their logo tattooed on him, and he kind of indoctrinated me into the cult, and I had no choice but to follow in his footsteps and be a fan too. The backstory of the band is unconventional, but unfortunately not uncommon in the world of rock and roll. Drug addiction affected each member of the band intimately in their own lives, and you can see this shine through in their music. In particular, many members of the band struggle with heroin addiction. This is a theme that would be present in their music for much of the first half of their career lifespan. This episode is going to be a chronicle of how the band used their music as a vessel of expression of the wide range of human emotions and sometimes tragic contexts that drug addiction can provoke. In this way, the music itself is a form of resistance against the self-isolation, loneliness, and self-loathing that bearing this type of addiction can cause on an individual person. 
To understand the context of the band up to where I'd like to begin, a little bit of background is necessary. Red Hot Chili Peppers formed in 1982 in Los Angeles, California at Fairfax High School. The first iteration of the band contained Kiedis and Flea, as well as Hillel Slovak, the guitarist, and Jack Irons, the drummer, all classmates and good friends at Fairfax. The four played a few live shows before heading to the studio to record their first self-titled album. This album was made without the help of Slovak and Irons due to their commitment to another band. Slovak returned to the band in 1985, and with the help of drummer Cliff Martinez, the band entered the studio to record their second studio album, Freaky Styly. The album was to be made in Detroit and produced by Parliament Funkadelic headman and funk icon George Clinton. Even though the album didn't do well commercially, aided by Clinton, the band felt that they had put their best foot forward. However, this is the same time that problems really started to arise for the band. The second large objective of our rehearsals was learning the drill of the show, which essentially dictates where on the field each marcher has to be and when. And that's how we make the shapes. In the same way you would learn choreography for a dance number, you learn drill for a marching show. Good, thank you. Reset, please. In part one, we made the shapes of a globe, leaves and flowers, words that read joy to the world, and a nice camping landscape with mountains, trees, and a tent. This is also a 16 count move, but again with staggered step-offs. Who steps off on one? Again, the attitude here is primarily an appreciation of our planet with a positive attitude. In part two, we made flames, the meme of the dog sitting in a house on fire saying, this is fine, and words that read, it's not too late to do our part. These are all pretty on the nose as far as to what they're alluding to, but... I feel like the juxtaposition of the song's lyrics and saying it's not too late is interesting to me, since the song clearly expresses the feeling that it is too late and we're doomed. Even though you can't hear any of these lyrics in our performance, I feel like this is an instance where the music and the visuals don't quite align, which is kind of an interesting thing to consider, but I can understand not wanting to instill total hopelessness in our audience. And check. The second most difficult thing is going to be for the people that step off on seven. If you have a medium size, step size, or bigger, then you're going to have to haul to get there because you just don't have that many counts. In part three, we made the shapes of various animals like a whale, a frog, a rabbit, and of course, a wolverine. We then ended the show in words that read, Let It Grow, during the last few phrases of the song of the same name. Thank you, check. Nobody has a large step size, so if you're having to run at the end, it's because you're just not taking the right step size. Beginning? Goes with any feedback, right, Curtis? To me, the animals give a more specific representation of what's at stake here with our environment. It makes me consider that we should help to heal the Earth not just for our species, but for all of them. 
these shapes were an effective way to continue the reality of our message while doing so with a slightly more positive, gentle tone. Welcome back to Michigan Voices, everyone. First off, I want to thank all of you for coming out tonight. I'm Izzy Tiplady, and this is Combative Comedy. In this episode, we will be discussing the powerful potential of comedy to fight the pressing issues of our time. In this case, the student loan crisis. Let's talk about the student loan crisis. What is it? Imagine you're on a roller coaster. The American dream. Ooh. You're promised an epic thrill ride with amazing twists, turns, and rocketing high speeds. You're promised financial success. Then you get on the ride. Have the best time of your life. Meet so many amazing people. Pull one too many all-nighters. I know I did. It's the best. And then you graduate, and the track disappears. Was there ever a track? You don't know, because now you're being crushed by a debilitating amount of debt. A whopping $1.75 trillion for all Americans. That's the student loan crisis. We're Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, except hidden inside of our golden ticket is a credit card bill in disguise. And that's not to say that we have not tried to offer student debt relief. Enter the father, son, and holy spirit of Joe Biden's debt relief plan. We were promised eternal salvation, and we still got zil, nada, zip. And I'm under no false pretenses that a man born with a silver spoon in his mouth can empathize with people like me who needed to take out student loans. But it was a place to start. Unfortunately, a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court was never going to support it. I knew it. You knew it. We all knew it. And I still cried when it happened. There's nothing sadder than crying about something you knew was going to happen. Yet I still did. And so did so many others. And since then, some specialized borrowers have gotten relief. That's great for them. I hope they are enjoying their newfound financial freedom. They certainly deserved it. But what about the rest of us? We're stuck in a perpetual tango with good old Sally Mae, who keeps stepping on our feet. Higher education is a human right, and we're being punished for seeking it. This is a Michigan Voices production. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 15. I'm Jordana. I'm Emmeline, and in our episode, we'll interview our friends who studied abroad in unique locations around the world. We hope you enjoy hearing about their experiences and how arts and resistance manifested in their study abroad. Let's get started and go blue. Next up is... 
Emma and Jordan. Okay, so we're here with our friend Yusuf, and he's going to introduce himself and tell us where he studied abroad. Awesome. I'm Yusuf Halabi. I'm a senior studying computer science, and I studied abroad last winter in Amman, Jordan. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Super cool. Thanks for being here today. Yusuf, what made you choose to study abroad in Jordan? Um, so the program that I did was like an intensive Arabic language program. So I've been studying Arabic on and off since I was like four years old, like going to like Islamic school when I was little, like learning how to read and write, um, took some classes at Michigan, um, but never really had like the ability to like communicate with friends, family, um, people in like Syria where I'm from. So I kind of always wanted to like learn the regional dialect, like the Levantine dialect of Arabic, um, so I could actually communicate and not modern standard Arabic, which is taught through programs at Michigan and like on Duolingo and stuff. So that's why I chose Jordan, yeah, to learn it. Um, what's something striking or interesting about living in Amman um, that a tourist or someone from afar wouldn't know? I mean, I think like living there and like, especially like the way that I chose to live there, which was very much like talk zero English, try to blend in as much as possible, like try to meet as many people as possible, like talk to every Uber driver, talk to every person in the cafe, like... I think you get a good understanding of certain like cultural quirks that you wouldn't normally get if you were just like in London, like going to a different city every weekend. <laughs> What's an example of that? Um, I think one interesting thing is that like people have like a very strong like identity, like heritage identity. Like I think like 70% of people in Amman are like ethnically Palestinian and they like really, really like feel that deep within them, even if they've like never been or like are three generations out. So like every Uber driver, like none of them were Jordanian, according to them. <laughs> like they were like, oh, I'm from like Yaffa or like I'm from like some random city and like village. And it's like interesting. It's interesting to see. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. Huh. So were there any other culture shocks that you experienced? Honestly, my favorite culture shock and, like, one that I'm, like, trying to take away um, from Jordan was that I loved how, like, the cafe culture there, like, as, like, a Muslim who, like, doesn't drink, like, doesn't really, like, party, like, stuff like that, like, uh, it was cool, like, going to a cafe at, like, midnight on a Wednesday and it just being packed, like, you go there and there's, like, a thousand, like, <laughs> men between the ages of, like, 18 and, like, 80 just like smoking hookah like playing cards chess like whatever like watching like soccer games so it was like it was cool to like go there and be a part of that and like seeing like my dad for example in america like i've never seen him like hang out with his boys just chilling <laughs> around for like for no purpose you know like he'll run he'll go golfing he'll do stuff like that but like there's no like unstructured hangout time for men i feel like so i want to take that back to america that's awesome takes so much self-awareness when yeah. you're planning out to know which ones are going to be draining for you and how much time you might need. 
I said this in my intro too, but like it takes you being intentional about it in a way that you really have to like reflect and know yourself pretty well. What is gonna take like mental taxing energy and what is best for me to recharge after that? Because there are so many different ways that you can do rest. Mm-hmm. I was actually talking about Jess with this the other day, but little things like she was playing Bananagrams with her roommate. I feel like those types of things can be really recharging in a way that lying on your bed for 10 minutes, like what I usually do, just does not cut it. Mm. So I think there's also a lot to say about the type of breaks that you're taking. I love everything you were just talking about. (laughs) Everything. I'm going to like address multiple things so so first of all what you said about finding ways to rest Mm -hmm. um i saw this great tiktok about creating a dopamine menu oh what is that you basically i think it's split into time categories so like five minutes 15 minutes 30 minutes and then basically you create dopamine snacks, which is like a five minute thing that you can do to recharge that's like unique to you. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was going to talk about is like that's a very interesting point that you made that like we don't know how to rest for ourselves as individuals. Yeah. We don't know ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the point here is that like in the systems that we were raised in, we only know of ourselves as we perform in others eyes we don't know ourselves internally Mm -hmm. and we're not taught to know ourselves internally because knowing ourselves inside is a power greater than any system that we are in there is this great quote from like another book that i was reading that's basically saying like if you are a man who is content or a human who is content, I don't like that. Yeah. Inclusivity. A human who is content, the target on their back becomes smaller and smaller because mm. if you're able to find contentment in any situation, you will never feel forced to change it in a way that doesn't suit you, for example. We all have parts of life that can be extraordinarily ordinary, but every day something changes. So every day there will be something small for you to enjoy if you look for it, but you have to look for it or create those moments yourself. Find your yellow tree or your park bench or your old woman at the grocery store. Start noticing. Maybe that is the art of being. so much to Iris Funaioli for joining me on this episode. Thank you to my classmates and professor T. Hetzel and Writing 200 at the University of Michigan for their support and guidance on this episode and the whole semester. This is the final episode of season five of Michigan Voices, so check out previous works from the class at Michigan Voices on Spotify if you haven't already. Music is Palms Down by Confectionary on Blue Dot Sessions, sound effects by Pixabay, and about time clips from Universal Studios. This is Christine McLaughlin, and thanks for tuning in.
Episode 1, Thomas Welsh, Stage Stories of Resistance. Episode 2, McKenna Buck, Off the Books. Episode 3, Sari Rosenberg and Abdullah Al-Hayit, Voices of Truth, Israel and Palestine from the Past to Now. Episode 4, Ella Russell, Couture with a Cause, Shopping Sustainably. Episode 5, Ida Newman-Getzler, From Mixtape to Playlist. The Evolution of Music Listening. Episode 7, Taylor Pulver, Dear Diary. Episode 8, Rocky Morabito, Faster Horses, Michigan Gone Wild. Episode 9, Irina Lee, Izzy Berman, Sketches of Resistance. Episode 10, Keely Ryan, Sabrina Shaw, and Meredith Clemens. The Taylor Tapes, Swift and Sexism. Episode 11, Brendan Boyd, Warped, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Addiction. Episode 12, Chris Fetterly, Sustainable Steps, The Michigan Marching Band. Episode 14, Izzy Tiplady, Combative Comedy, Taking on the Student Loan Crisis. Episode 15, Emmeline Fami and Jordana Levine, Wonderlust by J&E. Finally, Episode 16, Christine McLaughlin, The Art of Being. And that's it, folks. That's season five of Michigan Voices, Art and Resistance. Thanks so much for listening. Michigan Voices is an ongoing project in the course Writing Digital 200 here at the University of Michigan. Please check us out again on Spotify to hear the full episodes. You've had a glimpse into each today. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for tuning in to Living Writers, and thanks always for listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Now, from WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, an hour of programming randomly selected from our archive. Tense, silence, as she walked into the room. Black robe, trailer, my sister of the moon. And a black widow, spider way, make sound machine. Of hers, they
Cool. 